God, we give you all praise and thanks for you place us in a community which is really the communion of saints. And so we thank you for our brother in Christ, Bud Bauma. We thank you that testimonies are pouring in from students whom, who were touched by him because of you, because you were the center of his life, because you were the source of his hope, because you were his rock and his redeemer. We thank you, Lord, that he did not die without hope. We thank you that in your mercy, his suffering was short. We pray, Lord, that that same mercy will now surround Ruth and their girls and Bud's extended family as they gather that the truth of the resurrection will echo deep within their souls so that they will not grieve as those who have no hope, but they will grieve as people who have been bought by the blood of the Lamb, purchased, redeemed, rescued. And as we gather with this family this week, we worship you because you are a God who moves us always from death to life. And so just as we proclaim the resurrection of the body, we proclaim that someday Bud's body too will be resurrected, cancer-free. We thank you for that hope and how that animates us in all that we do. We thank you that this is a hope that we can carry around the world. We thank you for places like World Vision that say we're going to make a difference. We're going to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to the world. And so we pray for Casey and Kenzie and the others who will run, and we pray for those who sponsor. And we pray, Lord, that clean water will be so abundant in these villages and that running in Grand Rapids can make a difference in a place like Ghana. We thank you, Lord, that the gospel has no limits. We pray for our brother Michael as he continues to fight cancer. We pray, Lord, that you will use the chemotherapy in his body right now to kill any cancer cells. Restore him to full health in the name of Jesus so that he can rejoin us as he so longs to do. Lord, we thank you for the ministries of Nate and Amina. Thank you for the gifts that they have been to this community that they have embodied in them a passion for the kingdom that we have seen lived out in their marriage and in their parenting as well as in their work and in their home. Many students through the years have benefited from their hospitality and their kindness and their wisdom. You have spoken truth through them to others that has set people on the right path. You have spoken forgiveness through them to others that has helped students be reconciled to you. Their ministry has been powerful and it has those ripple effects that we will never know. So thank you, Lord, for loaning them to us for seven years. And as they go off on this new adventure, we pray, Lord, that you make their way straight. Make it beautiful. Make it delightful in ways that they don't even imagine right now. We pray for housing. We pray for a church. We pray for good friends. We thank you, Lord, for the gift that they have been 
And we ask now that you send them off well. We thank you, Lord, for this communion of saints. And as we together, as your people, turn to your word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you use that word to keep us animated for your kingdom, animated about the resurrection, excited about what you do in people's lives. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all God's people say, amen. Matthew 25 is where we are looking. Your pew Bibles are black and should be near you. Get the lights up just a little here, David, so I'm not quite in the shadows. Page 807 in your pew Bibles. Page 807. So we're working our way through Matthew 25. Last week we did the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Tonight the parable of the talents. Next week the parable of the sheep and the goats. So that's where we're going. And then the week after that is Testimony Sunday, our last loft. So, woo, just like that, it's coming. It's coming. You can do it. You can do it. I believe in you. I believe that you will win. <laughs> Page 807, beginning to read at verse 14. For it is as, as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one that received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I've made you five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been faithful. Oops. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received one talent also came forward saying, Master, I, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here. You have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. 
As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. So if you've ever watched improv comedy, you know that improv comedy is when people make things up on the spot. They get a suggestion from the audience or they get a suggestion from somebody else in the cast and they just go, they just make stuff up. But there is a deep principle that undergirds everything you see on the stage at improv. And if you're interested, Calvin Improv, last show, Saturday night, check it out. And the principle that undergirds everything that happens in an improv show is yes and. Yes and. A person makes a suggestion, another person agrees with the suggestion, and then builds on it. So a person could say something like, it is a beautiful afternoon here on the shores of Lake Michigan. And then the other person enters the scene and says, yes, and I've brought you sunscreen because you always get burned in May because you aren't ready for it. And the next person comes on stage and says, yes, and I brought two chairs so we can sit and look at the lake. Yes, and, yes, and. Now, if somebody came on the stage and said, and I brought my hockey skates, I would be like, we don't don't know what to do with that. That's not yes, anding, that's no, no. (laughs) Not helpful, not helpful. So, yes, and builds things up and moves the momentum forward, a no stops everything in its tracks. This is an important principle for improv, and it's the principle behind this parable. The master is heading out on a journey, and he has a load of money. You can think of this as $5 million, $2 million, and a $1 million. And he's trusting millions of dollars to his slaves. And he says, here you go, I'm checking out for a little while. And now, the guy who gets five, did you see this? These are three really strong verbs that the guy who gets five does. He went off at once, he traded them, and he made five more. And that third word, made, can also be translated as one. Like there's this assertion, there's this aggression, there's this like, go out and get her done with a five-talent guy. And the two-talent guy, they said the same way. They are saying, yes, I will take the millions that you have entrusted to me, and I will go out and build more. Because there was this belief that if they invested well, that the entire kingdom would do better. That everything would be better if they invested well, if they were aggressive, if they took this gift that the master had given them and went off and did something with it. Yes, and. The guy with five, yes, and. The guy with two, yes, and. The guy with three, no, because. No, I didn't do anything with your money because you're kind of scary. No, I didn't do anything with your money because you're hard. No, I didn't do anything with money because you really, you know, you are so good at this. You just, you know, you get what you want whenever you want it, and I really can't compete with that. So I just, you know, I did the safe thing. It's right here in a hole. It's good, but, you know, 
No, I, no, I didn't do anything. I mean, I, I took you seriously enough not to spend it. I didn't waste it. You know, I didn't squander it. I saved it. It's safe. It's perfectly safe. I took you seriously enough, oh, master of mine, that I hid it, but not quite seriously enough that I did anything with it. I took you seriously enough. Not really. I took you somewhat seriously. You know, I'll give to the church or the community care fund or whatever, but only to the point where it does not inhibit my Starbucks habit. I'll serve, you know, and it's like convenient. Like when they do that uh, food drive in the fall, you know, that's right in my dorm. That's very handy for me, very convenient. I just go in my cupboard. I look at the things that my mom bought for me that I know I'm never going to eat. And then I take them and I give them to somebody else. Those applesauce cups. No. I'll speak out about social justice just as soon as everybody else on my Facebook feed does. Because I don't want to say anything about Baltimore or racism or, you know, the boxer who makes a cabillion dollars and also boxes people outside of the ring. I mean... We're not really going to say anything until other people start saying things about that. Then, then I'll weigh in. You know, I'll, I'll take this faith stuff seriously, but not that seriously. I mean, I'll go to church most of the time, and I'll hang out with mostly good people, and I won't sin in any extravagant way that's going to land me in jail or in the throes of the judicial affairs office. I'll, I'll keep it all under control. You know, I'll, I'll take this faith stuff seriously, but not that seriously. I'll follow Jesus in the safest way possible. The master has something to say to the servant number three. He says, you are wicked and lazy. You tried to make this about me, but this is not about me. This is all about you. You didn't want to be inconvenienced. You were more concerned with your comfort than your faithfulness. I entrusted something precious to you, and you hid it away. We're going to take what you had, we're going to give it to somebody else, and we're going to put you in the outer darkness. Now this parable, like the ones that frame it, were preached first to the disciples, just the 12 of them in one room. And the disciples would have grown up with the understanding that everything they had belonged to God. 
That this would have been taught them from the time they were sitting on their mother's laps and learning the Psalms. Verses like, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who dwell in it, for he founded it upon the seas and he established it upon the rivers. And their moms and their dads and their aunts and their uncles and their grandparents would have taught them the prayers for everything that they did because in every aspect of Jewish life, there was a prayer that went along with it. When you planted the seed, when you weeded, when you harvested the grain, when you took the grain and you made it into bread, when you broke the bread and you ate the bread, there was a prayer for every step. When you washed your hands before you went to the bathroom, when you went to the bathroom, when you were done going to the bathroom, when you washed your hands after going to the bathroom, there was a prayer for every step. Every aspect of their lives had been shaped in the understanding that everything you do and everything you have is a gift from God. And what you do with it brings glory back to God. So the disciples would have heard this parable with that as the emotional and theological backdrop. Everything we have is a gift from God. What we do with it brings glory to God. But Jesus adds a particular gloss. He adds something extra. He's been teaching them throughout the end of Matthew that he's going to leave, that he's going somewhere, and that he's going to come back. And between the time from when he leaves to the time when he comes back, they've got work to do. So he's saying to them, what I am giving you, this vision for the kingdom, this is something that prophets and teachers for generations longed to see. They longed to see the Messiah, and here I am with you, teaching you about the kingdom, teaching you the vision of God, teaching you how to live as true disciples. Now, what are you going to do with it? I am entrusting to you the thing that is most precious to me. What are you going to do with it? Jesus says to his disciples, I am entrusting to you the thing that is most precious to me. What are you going to do with it? Jesus says to his disciples, I am entrusting to you the thing that is most precious to me. What are you going to do with it? And often we read this parable and we think of our own innate talents and abilities, our gifts. So we can say things like, you have a great ability to play the organ. How are you going to use that to advance the kingdom of God? That's the question this parable demands of us. You're great with small children. How are you going to use that to advance the kingdom of God? You're great at teaching mathematics. How are you going to use that to advance the kingdom of God? Because everything we have is a gift, and what we do with it advances the kingdom of God. But it's not just about our gifts and abilities. It's not just a little individual parable. Everybody sit quietly and think about what God wants you to do. It's every resource you've been giving. So I don't know about you, but my Facebook feed in the past couple of weeks has been full of dressed-up people looking happy. 
lots of dorm banquets and our floors all together and our suites together and me and my roommate won best roommates. And it's like all these friends are celebrating. Look at what's happened this year. This is so cool. I didn't even know you eight months ago. And now we're like total BFFs forever. <laughs> your friends are a gift from God to you. How are you using your friendships to advance the kingdom? How are you helping your friends to advance the kingdom? If you're dating somebody or engaged or married to somebody, how are you using that relationship to advance the kingdom? If you're single, how are you using the gift of your singleness to advance the kingdom? Do you see how this becomes expansive? How are you using your car? How are you using your iPad pod phone? to advance the kingdom? How are you using the stuff in your pockets right now to advance the kingdom? Because the stuff in your pockets right now does not belong to you. It belongs to the God who made you. The master has entrusted the stuff in your pockets to you. What are you going to do with it? The master has entrusted the stuff of this world, our people, our friends, our classes, our professors, our college to us. How do we help Calvin College to advance the kingdom? Not how do we make Calvin College a great institute of higher education, blah, 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 blah. How do we help Calvin College advance the kingdom? Because there are a lot of colleges that are really good at college stuff. Not interested. I want to be a college that advances the kingdom of God. How do we do that? Remember last week we looked at the book of Acts. We looked at what the disciples did when Jesus struck the fear of Jesus in them. And they went out and they did all the stuff and they cared for the poor. And they visited people in prison, and they gave food, and they ran marathons for clean water. That's exactly what the disciples did. That is in Acts 37. <laughs> the temptation is always going to be there for us to say, no, because. No, because the longest I've ever run was 15 and a half miles, and that about killed me, so thank you, no. No, because, you know, right now is really a bad time for me. I've got a bunch of stuff to do in the next couple of weeks, and I don't even see my friends, let alone, like, I don't know how I'd have a conversation with them about how is our friendship advancing the kingdom. That just feels really awkward. We've only been dating for six months. How are we supposed to have a kingdom conversation now? Now. There's always going to be a reason not to do it. We're always going to want to be comfortable. We're always going to want things to be convenient. That's the way we're wired. And so in this parable, Jesus gives us two promises. The first one is for to all those who have, more will be given and they will have an abundance. 
If you are living a life sold out to the kingdom, if you believe that everything in your pockets and everything in your dorm room and everything in your car, if you have a car, and everything in your apartment and everything in your house, if all of it belongs to God, and you say, I surrender all, and you mean it. The promise of the parable is that God will say, great, let me take that from you and give you some more. Let me see what you do with this. Let me give you this relationship that's a little bit sticky and a little bit complicated and you're going to have to lean in and be the most mature person you've ever been in this relationship. Go. I'm going to give you a first job in which you make more money than your parents. Let's see what you do with that. I'm going to give you a first job in which you will make very, very little money and your parents will be appalled. What are you going to do with that? I'm going to call you to a church that is in the middle of nowhere, that is bumping a lawn, and everything in you is going to want to make the drive every Sunday for 45 minutes to the cool mega church up the street. But I'm going to call you to that little bumbling church. What are you going to do with that? Jesus says to us, If you are faithful in the little things, I'm going to put you in charge of many things. I can't wait for you to step up. I can't wait for you to surrender. I can't wait for you to be all in because, boy, do I have stuff lined up for you to do. It's going to be great. That's the first promise of the parable. The second promise is the line that the master says to the good servants. They come and they say, look what I did. I had five, now I had five, now I had ten. Look what I did. I had two, now I had two, and now I had four. And they're like all excited, which also makes you realize that the third person really didn't have an understanding of who the master was. Because the master looks at the five, now ten, and the two, now four, and he says, well done, good and trustworthy servant. And what's the next line? Enter into the joy of your master. You've been faithful a little, I'll put you in charge of much. Enter into the joy of your master, which is, scholars believe, like an idiom almost. It's an invitation to an honors banquet where all the people that the master has entrusted with things, all the people who have gone out and they've traded and they risked and they adventured, they went out and they all come back and say, look what we did for the kingdom. And the master throws a big party and he says, we are going to have a party and we are going to celebrate what everybody did for the kingdom. It's going to be great. There's going to be a banquet. Enter into the joy of your master. So the promise of more good stuff awaiting us is stuff for this life and the next because the banquet is also for this life and the next. Tonight, we gather around this table. And in ways we do not completely understand, despite lots of theologians who've written really smart things, Jesus is here. And when we eat the bread and when we drink the cup, the presence of Jesus nourishes and strengthens our souls. So that the work of the kingdom that takes sacrifice and sweat and inconvenience and discomfort gets just a little 
easier. And at this banquet, we have a foretaste of what is yet to come when He will say to us, well done, good and trustworthy servant. Enter into the joy of my banquet. And look at all these other cool people. I'm so excited to introduce you around. Enter into the joy of your master. The master comes to us tonight and he says, I have something that is more precious than millions of dollars. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ lived out in a broken and hurting world. If I entrust it to you, will you say yes and so that I can say, well done? Yes and. Yes and. Yes and. We will build your kingdom even when it costs us. Yes and because you, Jesus, built the kingdom when it cost you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you empower us to do the little things that build the kingdom. It's easy for us to say no because it's easy for us to say, God's got it under control. What does he even need me for? So Holy Spirit, use the truth of this parable to echo out into our lives so that we look at all aspects and think, how can God use this in my life to advance the kingdom? Even this sorrow, even this hurt, even the success, I surrender all. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.